0: Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Plato's Dialogue, Gorgias, Part 12 Think and tell me whether you would approve of another view of mine. To me, every man appears to be most the friend of him who is most like to him like to like, as ancient sages say. Would you not agree to this? I should. But when the tyrant is rude and uneducated, he may be expected to fear anyone who is his superior in virtue, and will never be able to be perfectly friendly with him. That is true. Neither will he be the friend of anyone who is greatly his inferior, for the tyrant will despise him and will never seriously regard him as a friend. That again is true. Then the only friend worth mentioning whom the tyrant can have will be the one who is of the same character, and has the same likes and dislikes, and is at the same time willing to be subject and subservient to him. He is the man who will have power in the state, and no one will injure him with impunity. Is not that so? Yes, and if a young man begins to ask how he may become great and formidable, this would seem to be the way. He will accustom himself from his youth upward to feel sorrow and joy on the occasions as his master, and will contrive to be as like him as possible? Yes, and in this way he will have accomplished, as you and your friends would say, the end of becoming a great man and not suffering injury? Very true. But will he also escape from doing injury? Must not the very opposite be true? If he is to be like the tyrant in his injustice, and to have influence with him, will he not rather contrive to do as much wrong as possible, and not be punished? True. And by the imitation of his master, and by the power which he thus acquires, will not his soul become bad and corrupted? And will not this be the greatest evil to him? You always contrive somehow or other, Socrates, to invert everything. Do you not know that he who imitates the tyrant will, if he has a mind, kill him who does not imitate him and take away his goods? Excellent, Callicles, I am not deaf, and I have heard that a great many times from you and from Polus and from nearly every man in the city but I wish that you would hear me, too. I dare say that he will kill him if he has a mind. The bad man will kill the good and true. And is not that just the provoking thing? said Calicles. Nay, not to a man of sense, as the argument shows. Do you think that all our cares should be directed to prolonging life to the uttermost? and to the study of those arts which secure us from danger always? Like that art of rhetoric which saves men in courts of law, and which you advise me to cultivate? Yes, truly, and very good advice, too. Well, my friend, but what do you think of swimming? Is that an art of any great pretensions? No, indeed. And yet surely swimming saves a man from death and there are occasions on which he must know how to swim. And if you despise the swimmers, I will tell you of another and greater art, the art of the pilot, who not only saves the souls of men, but also their bodies and properties from the extremity of danger, just like rhetoric. Yet his art is modest and unpresuming. It has no airs or pretenses of doing anything extraordinary. And, in return for the same salvation which is given by the pleader, demands only two obols, if he brings us from Agena to Athens, or for the longer voyage from Pontus or Egypt, at the most to Drachma. When he is saved, as I was just now saying, the passenger and his wife and children and goods, and safely disembark them at the Piraeus, This is the payment which he asks in return for so great a boon. And he who is the master of the art, and has done all this, gets out and walks about on the seashore by his ship in an unassuming way. For he is able to reflect, and is aware, that he cannot tell which of his fellow passengers he has benefited, and which of them he has injured in not allowing them to be drowned. He knows that they are just the same when he has disembarked them, As when they embarked, and not a whit better, either in their bodies or in their souls. And he considers that if a man who is afflicted by great and incurable bodily diseases is only to be pitied for having escaped, and is in no way benefited by him in having been saved from drowning, much less he who has great and incurable diseases, not of the body, but of the soul, which is the more valuable part of him. Neither is life worth having nor of any profit to the bad man, whether he be delivered from the sea, or the law courts, or any other devourer. And so he reflects that such a one had better not live, for he cannot live well. And this is the reason why the pilot, although he is our Savior, is not usually conceited any more than the engineer, who is not at all behind either the general or the pilot or anyone else in his saving power, for he sometimes saves whole cities. Is there any comparison between him and the pleader? And if he were to talk, Callicles, in your grandiose style, he would bury you under a mountain of words, declaring and insisting that we ought all of us to be engine-makers, and that no other profession is worth thinking about he would have plenty to say. Nevertheless, you despise him and his art, and sneeringly call him an engine-maker, and you will not allow your daughters to marry his son, or marry your son to his daughters. And yet, on your principle, what justice or reason is there in your refusal? What right have you to despise the engine-maker and the others whom I was just now mentioning? I know that you will say, I am better, and better born, but if the better is not what I say, and virtue consists only in a man saving himself and his, whatever may be his character, then your censure of the engine-maker, and of the physician, and of the other arts of salvation, is ridiculous. Oh, my friend, I want you to see that the noble and the good may possibly be something different from saving and being saved. May not he who is truly a man cease to care about living a certain time? He knows, as women say, that no man can escape fate, and therefore he is not fond of life. He leaves all that with God, and considers in what way he can best spend his appointed term, whether by assimilating himself to the Constitution under which he lives, as you at this moment have to consider how you may become as like as possible to the Athenian people if you mean to be in their good graces and to have power in the state. Whereas I want you to think and see whether this is for the interest of either of us, I would not have us risk that which is dearest on the acquisition of this power, like the Thessalian enchantresses, who, as they say, bring down the moon from heaven at the risk of their own perdition. But if you suppose that any man will show you the art of becoming great in the city, and yet not conforming yourself to the ways of the city, whether for better or worse, then I can only say that you are mistaken, Callicles. For he who would deserve to be the true natural friend of the Athenian Demas, I, or of the Perampolis darling who is called after them, must be by nature like them, and not an imitator only. He, then, who will make you most like them, will make you as you desire a statesman and orator. For every man is pleased when he is spoken to in his own language and spirit, and dislikes any other. But perhaps you, sweet Callicles, may be of another mind. What do you say? Somehow or other your words, Socrates, always appear to be good words, and yet, like the rest of the world, I am not quite convinced by them. The reason is, Callicles, that the love of Demas, which abides in your soul, is an adversary to me. But I dare say that if we recur to these same matters and consider them more thoroughly, you may be convinced for all that. Please, then, to remember that there are two processes of training all things, including body and soul. In the one, as we said, we treat them with a view to pleasure, and in the other, with a view to the highest good, and then we do not indulge but resist them. Was not that the distinction which we drew? Very true. And the one which had pleasure in view was just a vulgar flattery was not that another of our conclusions? Be it so, if you will have it. And the other had in view the greatest improvement of that which was ministered to, whether body or soul? Quite true. And must we not have the same end in view in the treatment of our city and citizens? Must we not try and make them as good as possible? For we have already discovered that there is no use in imparting to them any other good unless the mind of those who are to have the good, whether money or office or any other sort of power, be gentle and good. Shall we say that? Yes, certainly, if you like. Well, then, if you and I, Callicles, were intending to set about some public business, and were advising one another to undertake buildings, such as walls, docks, or temples of the largest size, Ought we not to examine ourselves first, as to whether we know or do not know the art of building, and who taught us? Would not that be necessary, Callicles? True. In the second place, we should have to consider whether we had ever constructed any private house, either of our own or for our friends, and whether this building of ours was a success or not. And if, upon consideration, we found that we had had good and eminent masters, and had been successful in constructing many fine buildings, not only with their assistance, but without them, by our own unaided skill, in that case prudence would not dissuade us from proceeding to the construction of public works. But if we had no master to show, and only a number of worthless buildings or none at all, then surely it would be ridiculous in us to attempt public works, or to advise one another to undertake them. Is not this true? Certainly. And does not the same hold in all other cases? If you and I were physicians, and were advising one another that we were competent to practice as state physicians, should I not ask about you? And would you not ask about me? Well. But how about Socrates himself? Has he good health, and was anyone else ever known to be cured by him, whether slave or free man? And I should make the same inquiries about you. And if we arrived at the conclusion that no one, whether citizen or stranger, man or woman, had ever been any the better for the medical skill of either of us, then, by heaven, Callicles, What an absurdity to think that we or any human being should be so silly as to set up as state physicians and advise others like ourselves to do the same without having first practiced in private, whether successfully or not, and acquired the experience of the art. Is not this, as they say, to begin with the big jar when you are learning the potter's art, which is a foolish thing? True. And now, my friend... As you are already beginning to be a public character, and are admonishing and reproaching me for not being one, suppose that we ask a few questions of one another. Tell me then, Callicles, how about making any of the citizens better? Was there ever a man who was once vicious or unjust or intemperate or foolish, and became by the help of Callicles good and noble? Was there ever such a man, whether citizen or stranger, slave or free man? Tell me, Callicles, if a person were to ask these questions of you, what would you answer? Whom would you say that you had improved by your conversation? There may have been good deeds of this sort which were done by you as a private person before you came forward in public. Why will you not answer? You are contentious, Socrates. Nay, I ask you, not from a love of contention, but because I really want to know in what way you think that affairs should be administered among us. Whether, when you come to the administration of them, you have any other aim but the improvement of the citizens. Have we not already admitted many times over that such is the duty of a public man? Nay, we have surely said so for if you will not answer for yourself, I must answer for you. But if this is what the good man ought to effect for the benefit of his own state, allow me to recall to you the names of those whom you were just now mentioning, Pericles, and Chimon, and Miltiades, and Themistocles, and ask whether you still think that they were good citizens. I do, but if they were good then clearly each of them must have made the citizens better instead of worse. Yes. And, therefore, when Pericles first began to speak in the assembly, the Athenians were not so good as when he spoke last? Very likely? Nay, my friend, likely is not the word. For if he was a good citizen, the inference is certain. And what difference does that make? None. Only I should like further to know whether the Athenians are supposed to have been made better by Pericles, or on the contrary, to have been corrupted by him. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight.